Good morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do, that you would open it to 1 Peter. We've been in our series, Hope in the Dark. And I know for many of us, this has been a hard-hitting series. If you are new or you haven't been in a while, welcome. I'm Pastor John Feek, and what we usually do, what we're almost always doing is we're going through a book of the Bible. Almost always. Turn to your neighbor and say, almost. Almost always. Number one, to start off with, this letter to the church that is in a battle, they're under siege, they're under great persecution. There are some words that Peter has for the church that is feeling the weight of living in a dark, dark world, and they're trying to be light in that world. They're trying to persevere when they feel like giving up, and I hope that Peter has a word for each one of us today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you walked in with. God is speaking, that his word is alive, that it's active, and that every time we open it, we're just saying, God, speak to me. And many of us think, is the Bible really trustworthy? Can I, can I really believe it? Isn't it like playing telephone? A bunch of guys long ago, they wrote something, somebody else copied that, and can we really have confidence? Well, here's two things. The reality is we still have tens of thousands of manuscripts today that we can look at that were written just after the original manuscripts, and we can see the consistency throughout thousands of years that God has preserved his word and that we can have confidence that when we're reading a solid biblical word-for-word translation that we know this is God's word. And the second thing is that if God showed up and had a word to say to us, he would just say what's already been written. So we want to have our ears open, our hearts open that God is speaking, and he's speaking to us, right? He's speaking specifically, trying to help in our situation. So today, my hope shines, and we're just going to be looking at a handful of verses in chapter 2. When we think about shining brightly in the darkness, I wonder if we need to hear this again and again. We are not just proclaimers of good news. We live out the good news. Our life is called to back up the message that we are to proclaim. So Peter left off last week and he said this, right at the tail end, he said, proclaim the excellencies of him, uh, of this Jesus who laid down his life, who is gloriously worthy of all of, uh, all of our worship, right? Our full surrender and commitment. He says, proclaim this. So here's the truth. Each one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, we're proclaimers. We proclaim good news. We proclaim our testimony. We proclaim the gospel, and then Peter is going to transition and say, but words sometimes are cheap if your life doesn't back up the message. So are you living good news? Are you living out this message and speaking it, right? Because both are important. It's both and. It's both and. Lift up your voice and say it's both and. It's not either or. It's not, I'm just going to live a good moral life. I'm just going to be a good example. Or I'm just going to tell them the truth, man. Uh, it's both. I'm going to show the truth. I'm going to speak the truth. So why don't we proclaim the gospel? Why are we hesitant? Why is Peter challenging the church? You've got to speak up. You've got to spread the good news, even when it's dangerous, even when it's risky. And maybe one of the reasons that we don't proclaim is because our life isn't backing up that message. What if hypocrisy is the greatest hindrance to the gospel spreading? And I hope each one of us are open for God to say, we need to, we need to do some business. We need to work on this. You need to be set free. You need to live an authentic life because your mouth is to be speaking the excellencies of Him who radically saved you and your life needs to 
live it, right? Public, private, the same. And so let's pray. And as we do, that we would be asking this question, is my life shining brightly for Christ? Is it? And if not, we could leave today and say, it hasn't been. But as of today, I'm going to start shining now. I'm going to start getting right with God today so that I can go and I can live it and preach it all for his glory. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, as we get low before you, it is, it's such an amazing thing to recognize that we have access to talk to you, Father. You created everything with your words. You spoke galaxies into existence, and we get to stop at any moment in our day and have a conversation with you. That is wild that you even care about us, that you care at all about what's on our hearts, that you care about our struggles. Jesus, thank you that you are a sympathetic high priest, that you are the one that provides us with this access, that you gave it all, that life could be offered, that eternal life could be offered, that hope every moment of every day could be offered through you, Jesus. Help us to find our hope in you alone. God, show us that we don't need to be chasing after the things of this world to find satisfaction and hope. We can be free. Our lives can live out the message that, Jesus, you are glorious and you satisfy. God, make us bold. Make us bold to confess our sin to you. Make us bold to confess our sin to one another as you've commanded us to. Make us bold to speak up in Jesus' name and proclaim the gospel. God, change us, we pray. In Jesus' glorious name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So if you have your copy of God's word, if you have that outline, let's do this. Let's be considering embracing your missional lifestyle because it is a missional lifestyle that all Christians are called. We're called to be missionaries. We're called not just to send missionaries, not just support missionaries, but to be missionaries. Your neighbor should have a missionary and they live at your address, right? Individuals in your home that if you are living as a Christian couple, as a Christian family, as you as an individual believer, that you are living on a mission, a missional lifestyle. I love this, that you're here to live like the people of God. You are loved ones. Where do I get that from? How does verse 11 start off? Beloved, beloved. Think about you are strangers and you are exiles. That's how Peter started this letter talking about you are in exile. You are chosen. You are loved. And you are on a mission. And exile is, this ain't my home. I'm not home yet. And while I'm here, I'm going to get as many people as possible to join me. We're all, we're going to heaven, baby. We're doing this together. They need to know the truth. And my life needs to back up the message for God's glory. We are on a mission with Jesus. So how do I do this? How do I do this? How am I distinct from every pagan that I know? Every godless pagan in my life, everybody that rejects God, hates God, is running from God, that is in my neighborhood, at my workplace, how do I live distinct? Peter's pretty fired up about it. He says this, verse 11, I, I urge you, I'm urging you, loved one, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage, here it is, get this picture, your passions, your desires of the flesh, wage war against your soul. If you knew you had an enemy that was waging war against your soul, do you think that maybe you'd like do something about it? 
Like, I need to fight. I need to resist. I need to make sure that my, my soul is expanding and growing, that my, the spirit within, that my heart for God and living for him, that I am growing in the spirit, and whatever is an enemy, I need to attack, right? So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Fight your flesh. Fight your flesh. It's as simple as that. Peter's like, there's a war, and we tend to fight all the wrong battles. Here's the right battle to fight. Your flesh is part of the problem that's keeping you from living an authentic Christian life, keeping you from proclaiming. He says, do this, and do it with urgency. For some of you, I might lose you, okay? So stick with me. How do we do this? How do we fight the flesh? With urgency, everybody say urgency, and specificity. Oh boy, oh, whoa, whoa. He ain't just taking me to school, he's taking me to college. Specificity is a big fancy word for get specific. Can we handle that? We can't be fighting the flesh in a vague, generic way, passively, casually, and we can't do it when we're trying to live in fuzzy land of, yeah, I got some things to change. Yeah, there's some bad habits. Yeah, there's some stuff in my life. Ugh, oh God. I should work on that, I guess, after my nap. God's like, there is a sense of urgency that either your flesh is in partnership of killing you or you're killing it, but those are the only two options. Are you moving with urgency? Are you moving with specificity where you're getting really specific about the internal battles, the passion within that goes against the kingdom of God? And here's a couple thoughts. We win the battle when we identify what needs to go, what is old, and what is waging war against us. And he calls it the passions of the flesh. So Peter brings up this passions of the flesh elsewhere. This is what Paul says. Everybody with me? You don't have to turn there, but at least jot, jot this address down, okay? Because you're going to want to find it later. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Peter agrees with Paul here. He says, the works of the flesh, they're pretty obvious. They're evident. Sexual immorality of any kind, any kind of sexual activity in the mind, thought, motives, eyes, acting out, anything that is not in a marriage under God is immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and idols, anything that's raised up above God that's more important than God, anything that you're willing to sin to do or to get, idolatry. How about this sorcery? Uh, pharmacia is the word there that Paul uses. Does that sound familiar? Sorcery was so connected with drugs and drug use. And to this day, we would still say, well, nowhere in scriptures to say I can't do drugs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually right there, okay? Um, enmity, where, where there is such hatred, strife in relationships, jealousy and envy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Do you think that Paul could have continued on with his list of describing all the ways that the flesh shows up? Things like these, things like these. So if, if I read through that and you said, well, you didn't mention my thing. And things like these. Yes, it falls under that category of the thing that you shouldn't be doing that you're doing that goes against what God is calling you to do. And what does he say? He doesn't say manage it. He doesn't say try to cover it up, trying to Try to coach yourself through some of the, the management of sin. He says, with urgency, you need to abstain. Total abstinence. All of the passions of the flesh, it needs to go. You kill sin. And so I was going to show some maybe video clips. That would have been pretty brutal of this particular topic. I was going to show some pictures, but 
Did you realize that throughout the past hundred years or so, there has been a lot of very brilliant men, and they, they're all men, every single one of them, because only men would do this. Uh, the amount of men that have chosen as their calling in life to tame lions or to try to tame and live among the bears, okay? And I wish there was just one. Like, who's that guy that thought year after year he could just tame the lion and walk away without a scratch, okay? So there seems to be a pattern over the past 100 years or so that there are, in fact, hundreds of men that are labeled like the Lion Tabor or the Lion Man or Mr. Lion-O or whatever they nickname them, and they're all over the world, right? Throughout history, this is the result of every single one of them that persisted in their particular passion to tame the lion is the lion ate Mr. Lion, all right? That's what happens when you try to tame lions. There was actually a couple that went out, and I don't know if you remember years ago, they tried to live among the bears, and, and 13 years later, they're like, what happened? I don't even remember what their names were, right? That's how important it is to me. Um, so this couple went out, and 13 years later, they're like, what happened to Joe and Susie, right? Well, they did find the remains of their parts inside the belly of bears, right? Because when you try to tame a wild beast that seeks to kill and destroy you, you always lose. Peter here is saying, you don't dabble and play. You don't flirt with. You don't try to tame the passions of your flesh. You, don't, you never say to yourself, I got it under control. I know how many is too many. I, I got my thing under management. And God would say, you're an idiot. Because when you flirt with and try to tame your passions, whatever that is, and I don't know what that is for you, if that's endless Amazon shopping to pornography, if that is doing and saying and looking and watching and however your lifestyle shows the marks of, I don't kill my flesh, I give into it, I cultivate it, I hide it, I cover it up, it's going to destroy you. Peter's like, you need to fight. You need to get specific and you need to move with urgency. And I was counseling someone uh, recently and I, I asked them about a certain addiction that they had and just asked them, how long has this been going on? And it's been you know, years and years and years. And I said, how easy is that to kill at this point since you've given in for so long? And they're like, I, I gave up on it because I tried so many times. I just like, I can't stop. I can't quit. And I said, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Do you want to honor God, even if it hurts so bad to try to put to death uh, this little pet sin that you have been nurturing and caring for behind closed doors? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And they're like, yes, I am so sick and tired of pretending like I am a, I'm a good Christian in public. And the reality is I know what I do behind closed doors, even if nobody else knows. And it's been years and years and years. And so I asked them, just this past week, are you willing for me to send a message to your roommate and say, hey, your other roommate needs to talk to you about something? And they said, yes. Because if you left it to me, I'm probably not going to go to them. I'm not going to seek out accountability. How do you know that somebody is repentant? How do you know that God is at work wanting change, wanting to put to death the flesh? 
I think sometimes, are you willing to do whatever it takes and to make something that's private public and to get help and to have people that love you to come alongside you, not to judge you or criticize you, but to help you get out of old patterns? And if you're not willing to do it, the question is, are you dying or have you ever had spiritual life? Because if you continue to give in, Peter's like, this is a problem. You're supposed to be proclaiming you are a loved one by God and I urge you with great intensity, this is waging war against your soul and you need to fight back. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Everybody, everybody ask how. How, 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 how? By keeping your light shining. Verse 11 is you've got to say no to this. You've got to kill it. You've got to put it to death. What does verse 12 say? Keep your conduct or keep on keeping your conduct among the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Anybody that's not Jewish, anybody that wasn't part of the covenant, any godless pagan, everybody that you're living around that is such a negative influence and impact on you, he says, your conduct around them should be this. Honorable. Honorable. You should shine in the darkness. Is the darkness overtaking you or are you shining in the dark places, in those relationships? Why? Because your life leads unbelievers to glorify God. Do you believe that? By your life, by living a godly life, here it is. Peter is just so clear. Do this so that when, when, everybody say when, when they speak against you as evildoers, and they are, when they speak against you doing good as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, the day of visitation there, we're talking the day of salvation. What, what is this saying? I think Peter's trying to say, as much as they give you a hard time and they fight against you and they make fun of you and they mock you for your faith, live in a way where you are living honorable, where they can't see anything in your life that you are a hypocrite and that you are living a double life. You're living a genuine, authentic Christian life. And, and they got a lot of stuff to say about that. Because are they in favor? Yes or no? No, they're like, maybe some are like, Jesus is good for you, but like, stay away from me, all right? Most are, oh, you think you're holier than thou now? You think you're better than me? Oh, you're going like, to judge me now? And what Peter's saying is, if you live in such a way that you are living humbly and honorably before them, even when they spit their venom at you, something happens because they're watching your lifestyle and it may lead to their salvation, understanding that you have what they don't. And the thing you profess, you live. It's real. How awesome is that? That we both proclaim and we live and both by living a life that is holy, that is unique and set apart, and by speaking the gospel that got you there, that God is glorified and people are being saved. So the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, am I living blameless? Am I living in a way that is honorable? Well, Paul gets fired up about this topic too. If you want to jot this address, this isn't just Peter, but Philippians 2.15, be blameless. This is a command. Be blameless and innocent. You're children of God. Live as children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation dark right dark be light among whom you shine as lights in the world and i i don't know if it's enough to just say peter said and and paul said we we got to say not mary okay that's not where i'm going 
We're going straight to Jesus. Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works. Not hear you talk all the time about what they should do and how they should change and what they need to do in their life. They need to watch you live it. And when they see your good deeds, they see the work of God in your life. It says, they're going to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Everybody say that's awesome. So we get to shine in a way that people go, there's something different about you. Even when I attack you and I try to criticize you, even when I try to provoke you and tempt you, like, it's real, isn't it? Like, you're, you're the real thing. You're the real deal. They're going, there is a God. There is a God. Uh, I had heard long ago that you are the only Bible that many people will ever read. I just thought, I'm the Bible lost people are reading every day. I'm the Bible that lost people are reading every day. That's the amount of truth that most people are going to receive is by watching your life. And here's, here's what's so awesome is that as a church, we're, we're growing in such powerful ways. Some of the conversations that we're having around here, if, you, if you've been around at all, some of the things that we're talking about, that we're praying through, is that every Wednesday night, we may be the only Christian that an individual in our community is ever going to talk to or see up close and personal. How powerful is that, that on Sunday nights when we rally together and we want to see the next generation come, that we may be the only ones they interact with, that they're reading the scripture that is being written and played out in our lives. Peter's so fired up about this. He's like, it's not enough just for you to receive it. It's not just a, enough for you to know that you're going to heaven. It's not enough just for, for you to go and tell everybody else that you're going to hell. You need to go to heaven. That may be true, but I wonder if they need to see it before they hear it. I wonder if they need to see it in action and not just hear your empty words because the church is marked by hypocrisy and maybe, maybe we should be less defensive about that because maybe the accusations of the world are accurate that we do live a double life and they're not interested in some kind of another religion where people live one way and talk another. There's a lot of religion like that. There's a lot of choices. But we're called to be the church. We're called to be a, a church that is single-minded, single-hearted, fighting the right battles. My lifestyle leads people to Jesus. My lifestyle leads people to Jesus. And we got to clarify, nobody gets saved apart from the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. They need to understand the gospel. But so much of the gospel can't be heard because they can't hear over the noise of your life that is a contradiction to the gospel that they hear it's hard and so can i can i go first can i go first as a young believer i was so passionate about sharing the gospel and speaking the gospel i was pretty fired up about the little bit that i knew right the little drop of truth and theology that i was able to grasp i'm like i only got a drop but man i'm, I'm gonna fling my little drop everywhere i go right i'm gonna share it with everyone and it wasn't until somebody that loved me enough said, John, it's really hard for your family to hear the gospel when your life is contradicting it. I said, excuse me? And they said, well, have you stepped away from the passions of the, the flesh? However they described it, right? But they took me to Scripture. 
They're like, do you see how evident the flesh is? Do you see the battle that you need to fight? And I'm like, well, that stuff, that, that, that stuff is so small compared to where I used to be. I mean, like, you're so nitpicky about these little addictions. Man, God set me free from some, from some big addictions. This is just small stuff. And they were able to tell me, John, your small sin that you refuse to kill is so loud to the lost. And they can't hear good news when they're watching you live out bad news again and again. When you're still living in sexual sin, when you're living with that girl, when you're still drunk, when you're still cussing, it's really hard for your family to hear good news of Jesus when you're living a hypocritical lifestyle. How do you think that felt? Is that pretty awesome? It's pretty awesome, okay? So let me feel that pain and let me offer a little bit of that, that encouragement. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what hypocrisy looks like in your life personally. I think we're pretty good at hiding it, right? For the most part, we do, we do pretty good, right? That's not part of our highlight reel on social media. Um, for some, maybe it is, and maybe that's a bigger problem. But for some of us, we're pretty good at, at living the double life. And I wonder if Peter's saying there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. Souls, salvation is at stake here that you are the one that is to live it and speak it and you're to kill your flesh, not blame anybody else and not be easily offended and hurt and feel judged. God's saying, you gotta kill it. It's gotta go. And I, I just jotted down, Easter is coming. Easter is coming, just a few weeks. Do we know that? Do we know that? It's gonna come. It's gonna come quick, right? Second week of April, it's gonna be here. And I just wonder, the seats that are open near to you there should be people sitting there, right? People that you should invite, people that you know that you can drag them here, right? In Jesus' name, you just drag them, right? Body draggers. I have good friends that they said, I, I can't preach the gospel very well, but I can body drag all day long, right? I, I can just drag people to church and to you, Pastor John, whatever it takes. But here's the reality. It's really hard to drag people to church, even on Christmas and Easter, when they watch your life the other 50 Sundays and say, why would I go to your church? And why would I go with you? Because I'm watching your life. Thanks, but no thanks. And I wonder if this Easter, for us to be, man, I want to get right with God. I want to repent of the old. I want to turn away from it. I want to live a life that is light shining in the darkness. And then I want to be able to say, would you come to church with me? And they're like, I need to check out this church because your life is radically different than it was before. What's going on there? Because you're, you're a different person. That's what we need, right? As a church, as a community, that's what we need is more fighting the flesh and less fighting each other and making excuses. How about this? Number two, if you're uh, taking notes, jot this down. Submit to authority. Everybody's favorite subject. Everybody say, yay, yay, here we go. How do I shine for Christ? I fight my flesh with urgency. I get specific. I keep on shining as a light. And this is where Peter goes. Peter, I didn't see it coming. I thought you were gonna take a right, you took a left, all right? You did a little fakey fake, all right? I, I don't know what's going on here, but I thought we were talking about what I'm supposed to do to honor God and live a life that is worthy of this kind of calling. Um, I thought we were talking about being light in the darkness. You want to talk about authority? What? 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 Here's what he says. There is a call on your life. If you're going to be light, if you are going to live it, if you are going to be living as loved ones, as exiles, he says this, verse 13, 
be subject, be submissive, be subject, come under for the Lord's sake. For whose sake? It's for the Lord's sake. For, for God is the one calling. It's not for anybody else. It's for God. God says, be subject, be submissive. To who? To some human institutions. Is that what your, your translation says? Um, only be submissive to human authority that votes the same way I do. Um, only submit to human institutions that have a biblical worldview. Only those that are not hypocrites. Is that, man, I was looking for a translation like all week long, trying to find something like, give me some wiggle room here. None, none at all. What does your translation say? Hopefully it says something along the lines of every, all, every human institution, government, parents, school, uh, can we get some examples? Because clearly Peter wasn't talking about the same type of institutions that, that we have to face in America, right? Like there's trouble a-brewing and clearly Peter doesn't want us to be submitting just to like anybody or everybody. Well, this is what he specifies. Okay, can we prepare ourselves? Your mind is about to be blown. Ready? This is Peter writing this command, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaking God's word, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. If you're taking notes, jot this down. What's an example? Any kind of head, any kind of headship, any kind of leadership, authoritative leadership. And he says, every single one, even the emperor. Okay, why is that a big deal? Church history. Peter dies a few years after this, okay? How does he die? He's crucified. Who ordered his crucifixion? Nero. Who is Nero? The emperor that he is calling the church to submit to. I don't know if Peter knew that he was calling the church to submit to the institution that was going to slaughter and torture and kill him. Maybe he had a glimpse that he knew what his end was going to be. But if anybody can tell you to be submissive to authority, do you think that Peter, who says, submit to Nero, the one that is going to hunt me down like a dog and chase me down and torture me and kill me, do you think that he, and I, he had a little bit of an idea of what it was going to cost to submit, to be subject to leadership? How crazy is that? We struggle with submitting to the DMV guidelines. And he's like, the guy that's going to kill me, I'm calling you and I'm going to live it. I'm going to submit. Even to him? Even to him. How about this? How about any representative of those human institutions? How about verse 14? He's like, whether it's the emperor as supreme, whether it's governors as sent by him, any, govern, any governor in any position that is delegated authority, do we know any governor in Scripture? I know you weren't expecting like, Pastor John, is, I have not had enough sleep nor caffeine for Bible trivia at this hour, okay? Okay. Have you ever heard of a guy called Pontius Pilate? He was the governor. What, what do we know that Pontius Pilate did? What did he do? He stood before the people and said, this man, I, 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 just, I hand him over. Go, cru, go ahead and crucify him if that's what you want to do. But like, I'm, I'm standing in a place not protecting him, but I am gonna, I'm going to put him out there. So are we supposed to even submit to 
horrible leaders? Yeah. Even those that like hate Christians? Yeah. How about those that hate Jesus and crucify him? Yes, even, even those. So are you seeing where Peter's at? He's like, I kind of have the one up of every argument that you're ever going to make because my examples in present day are a little more difficult to be subject to than anything you will ever face in your entire life. And he says, if Jesus did it, if we as apostles do it, then any Christian, anywhere, any nation, any leadership at all, no matter how wicked, no matter how toxic, you can do it too. You can do it too. And what does this show? Well, we're going to find out here. What's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of these authorities to, to make our life hard? What's the purpose of leadership in general, any governing authority? Well, he says this. God actually set up governments and Here's part of God's purpose. It's to punish those who do evil, punish evil, and to praise those who do good, to praise good. Uh, does, does every governing authority do that well? Everybody shake your head. Uh, I submit to you they do not, okay, uh, at, at all. But it was God's design for the governments, no matter how twisted they are. And so here's your one out. All right, you ready? You ready? Like, there's, there's got to be some kind of exemption. Okay, here's your exemption. We submit, we obey, unless we are called to, made to, forced to sin. If we are ever commanded by any authority to go against God's word, we say, no. In Jesus' name, no. I'm not doing it. But here's the difference. Not you fighting for your property rights, not you fighting for your gun rights, not you fighting for your freedoms and abilities that God doesn't talk about, but you should be really fired up when you are asked at work to do something that is immoral, that is wrong, that is questionable at best, that you have to sin in order to do, that you would say, no, I'm not willing to do that. That's where we get fired up, right? That's where we should have bumper stickers of, you think you're going to make me sin? No way, right? Peel, peel this out of my dead hands if you make me sin, right? Not, not any other rights that we say we have rights to but if god says don't do it and authorities say yes do it you go no no i was recently listening to different missionary stories and i love this in one of the radical islamic run areas of the middle east there was a church that was surrounded they were going to die one way or another unless they renounced their faith this happens frequently be praying for me i'll probably be going with a team to northern nigeria by the end of the year where every day there are churches that are being burnt down villages that are being ransacked and christians that are being killed and to be able to help the churches there and the leadership of those churches because here's one instance among many an entire church that they had their doors locked they're praying about what what do we do they're being called out summoned and the first guy steps out i don't know if he was a leader or not but they just drew a line and said, you can cross this line if you renounce Jesus and walk free. That's all we're asking for. And you can live. And the first guy so panicked that he's like, denounced Jesus, and he walked off. And obviously, everybody else inside is horrified going, okay, we just had the first person sin against God. And a little girl walked up next and said, there is no way. I am going to renounce the Jesus that laid down his life for me. And they shot her dead right there. And every single believer that walked out of that church after her 
died. And by her example, how awesome is that? I am willing to defy anybody in my life that calls me to sin against my God and renounce and reject what I believe and hold true, even if it costs me my life. And it has throughout church history. It's cost us so much. And here is the big why. Why do we have government in place? Why is there authority? Why are there leaders, teachers? Why do we have bosses? Well, God's plan is to punish evil and to praise good. They don't do that well. They don't do it perfectly. But if you had any doubt or any question, look at verse 15. Are you there? Verse 15 says this, being subject for the Lord's sake, for his glory, for his credit, for his honor to every human institution. Why do we do this? For this is the will of God. Do you realize that not many places in Scripture is it explicit where it says, you want to know what the will of God is? This is the will of God. That you abstain from every sexual sin. That's the will of God. We see that in 1 Thessalonians. This is the will of God. Isn't this crazy? That the way that you conduct yourself under authority shines so brightly in the darkness. This is God's will. This is God's will. That we would silence every opponent. That's Peter's agenda here. He's saying, man, if you want to do God's will, you want to know not who should I marry, what school should I go to, what car should I buy, uh, should I buy a house? Should I rent? What should I do for a job, a vocation? And time and time again, hopefully we should say as a church, why don't we start with the areas of Scripture that explicitly say this is God's will? We'll start there and we'll work our way to lesser things. This is such a major issue that we would, by doing good, not just by saying it, by doing it, by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance. Every say ignorance. The ignorance of foolish people. Do you know anybody like that? Don't raise your hand, please. All right. As you think about the foolishness in our world, what should we do with the foolishness? Well, they got to know that they're fools and we got to be able to retaliate and we got to be able to let them know and we got to fight on our side. Do you know what God's will is? There's something about the power of your silence and your humility in the midst of even corrupt leadership that shines brightly, that shuts the mouth of ignorant fools. It's not by you arguing and debating. It's not by you lobbying and fighting for your rights. There's something about God's will that you submit peacefully and quietly. This is powerful. That you would shut them up. Because can we be honest? Can we just have a, a, an honest, honest moment in church? I think everyone here just really, really wants to shut the mouths of really stupid people. Okay, can we just can we have a moment of honesty, right? I am surrounded by idiots. I'm surrounded by fools. Would they please just shut up? How do I get them to stop? And guess what? God says, I have a way. If you're interested in doing God's will, if you're interested in bringing glory to God, there's a way. And it's not by responding the way you've been responding. It's different. It's different. It's like this. It's like this. Doing good. Putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What's the motivation? Well, here's verse 16. This is so awesome. Live as people who are free. Why would I do that? Why would I do that and just give up my rights? Because you're free. You're free. You're already free. So live free. And free people don't have to fight and defend all the time and have to get even and have the last word. But not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, living as servants of God. Everybody say, that's different. That's really different. I'm a servant of God. That's how I'm using my freedom. So if you're, if you're taking these last notes, here's some motivation. Freedom always serves. What am I motivated by? I'm, I'm motivated to serve. That's what I do with my freedom. Liberty, not license. Do you understand that? God has given you liberty. He's given you freedom. Not a license to do wrong, but freedom to do right. It's freedom to do whatever I want, 
I have freedom in Jesus, right? To do whatever I want. He's like, no, with your freedom, do what's so counter to your flesh. Do what's so counter to your culture. It's not a license to do what you want. Your liberty is freedom to serve and freedom to respect. Respect each each one, each one of these. Are you ready for verse 17? Here's the last verse we're gonna cover, okay? Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. Verse 17, honor everyone. Honor everyone that you like. Is that what you, I don't know. I, I don't know if you have some parentheses in there. Everyone, uh, honor everyone that agrees with you, right? <clears throat> honor everyone, everyone, everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And for Peter to say that twice, to bring up the emperor that ultimately would kill him. Honor. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I think as we close, here it is. Why do we honor? Because they're image bearers. Every human being is an image bearer of God. We view people through the lens that they are imaging God. Are they doing it well? It's a little fuzzy. Because of sin, can't really see that reflection anymore. It's pretty dirty. But here's the reality. Every human being is still made in the image of God. We honor God by honoring people. What about those people? What about the people we disagree with? What? Yes. What does he say again? Honor everyone. How about this? Love the brotherhood. Love. How am I going to shine his light? Because I love. Who do I love first? I love the church. I love God's people. I love my brothers and sisters as a starting point to practice this love because it's a lot easier to love in here than it is for those that are trying to persecute you and attack you and trying to destroy you. We love the church. We love the church. We shine that way. Everybody say shine. This is shiny, right? This is shining in dark places by honoring image bearers, everyone, by loving the church, by fearing God. What would be the opposite? Fearing authority and what they can do to me, so I'm gonna retaliate. I'm gonna take the offensive so that I don't get attacked. I'm gonna attack first. That's one way to do it. That I would fear people and I'd be so consumed with what people's opinions of me are and my reputation in their eyes. And he says, fear God, fear God. You're gonna be tempted to fear people all day long and be obsessed with what others say and think Here's the one fear, a holy, helpful fear, reverence to the God that has the opinion that actually matters. What God thinks of you is the only thing that actually matters. Fear him, fear him. And how about this? Honor, we're talking about leadership, right? Not criticizing leadership. We honor, we honor, we respect. This is so awesome. We shine as lights. 